Why do you say that, Father? You aren't afraid, are you? No. But I respect some of the superstitions of others. Often they are founded in fact. Broadcasting live from our Sanctum Sanctorum in Venice, California. This is the Sixth Sense Society. I'm your host, Krista, here with our producer, Michael. And today we welcome back to the show, Amanda Woomer. You'll remember we interviewed her, uh, I think it was in the spring, and she is of spookeats.com. She's a paranormal investigator, a travel buff foodie, and writes about that. But she is also the curator of a fantastic journal, it's a woman's journal of all things strange and unusual called The Feminine Macabre, which we did mention in the previous show. And she just put out a volume two. So we're going to be talking about the journal and uh, overall and also about volume two. So we're very excited about that. And before we get started, though, Michael has a few announcements. Hi, everybody, and thanks for tuning in again. Um, you can get all the information on our website, sixcentsociety.com, S-I-X-T-H, all spelled out. Next week, we have uh, Diane Zingali back here, and she will be talking about the fraternity of the hidden light. So we'll get into some of the secret society stuff for all you guys that are totally interested in that stuff. Um, and then that'll be the end of the month. And then we're into our paranormal month and our witchcraft month. So Jackie Smith and Madam Zalema and our ghost hunting paranormal special number two. And maybe we can invite Amanda to that too. Um, so all kinds of great stuff coming up for the Halloween month in October. Um, while you're on the website, buy us a coffee on Ko-Fi if you can afford to do so. It really helps us with our production costs. And we thank you if you have. It's been really great. And the feedback we've gotten from our fans is just absolutely heartwarming. So thank you guys for all of that. Um, and subscribe to our newsletter as well. And so I don't want to keep you guys too long because I know we have a ton to get into with Amanda today. So, And if you're, you're not able to join us on YouTube, then uh, you can listen to us as a podcast too. Just search Six Sense Society on Spotify or wherever you get your podcast, and you can listen to the episodes as well. So with that, I'm going to kick it back to you, Krista. So take it away, Krista. Great. Thank you, Michael. And welcome, Amanda. Thank you so much for having me back. I'm so excited to be here. Well, I think congratulations are, order, are in order on two accounts, I've decided. You know, since we last talked to you, you have given birth to oh. a baby and a volume two of The Feminine Macabre. So congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> uh, that, that was impressive, I found, <laughs> you know, because you're curating a, a journal like that. You're definitely a, a one-woman show, my understanding is, with the editing and putting it together. Yes, it's definitely a one-woman show. I always tell people that, um, that I read all the submissions, I determine what goes in and what we, you know, kind of pass on. I do all of the editing, all of the formatting, which is the worst part imaginable, the proofreading, and then all of the promoting. So I always joke saying that the only thing I don't do is design the cover. Um, everything else is 100% happening in my little cave here. <laughs> well, I, I think we mentioned a little bit about um, the journal in your previous show, but let's talk about what inspired you to create this journal in the first place. 
So I was doing a, a radio show over on Paranormal Buzz Radio. This was back in February 2020. So it was well over a year ago now. And the topic of conversation was women in the paranormal. And we were talking about it historically speaking. So women like Catherine Crow, Eleanor Sidgwick, um, Zora Neale Hurston, um, even Lorraine Warren a little bit. And I realized aside from Lorraine Warren, nobody knew who I was talking about. And I feel the only reason why at least in, in the general public, the reason why Lorraine Warren is known is because of the Conjuring movie franchise right now, which is very popular. But I decided after realizing that, that this needs to be changed. This is a problem. You know, women have been a part of the paranormal since the beginning. The very first ghost hunter, as we know it today, was Catherine Crow back in the 1850s. So women have always been here. And when you go to events at least in my experiences from hosting or attending, women tend to be the majority of attendees. Mm -hmm. So why is it that on television and in the media, why is it that only men are really highlighted and women are kind of passed over? So that's kind of, that was the seed that was planted in my brain. And that's kind of the birth of the feminine macabre. I really wanted to create a place where women could come together and share their research and their findings and their theories and hard work, not just in the area of hauntings and ghost stories, but witchcraft, cryptids, um, tarot, um, voodoo and hoodoo, dark history, folklore, death positivity, um, graveyards and cemeteries. Um, you know, so so much is included in the umbrella of the paranormal within this journal. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I always say I'm not giving a voice to women. They already have a voice and they've been using it. This is just a megaphone to amplify it. So more people get to know these women. And so many of them are very, very active in the community. The work that they're doing is so inspiring and so impressive. And they're working just as hard as the men that you already know about. Mm -hmm. um, but they just haven't been given a chance to have a spotlight sh um, shown upon them. So that was really what I wanted to do with the Feminine Macabre. And, you know, we've got two volumes out now. And, you know, submissions for volume three are opening next week already. So it, it's definitely um, taken on a life of its own, which is exactly what I was hoping for. Um, there's been a great response from both men and women all across the board, whether they're in the paranormal, metaphysical, occult communities or not. Um, so it, it's really been a beautiful journey um, so far, and I'm very excited to see where it goes. I, I was very... Um taken by the first journal like i i don't get a lot of magazines i order maybe like i i like tricycle and i started getting fate magazine because it's so funky and um i when i read the first journal i literally read it cover to cover and i was really surprised about how long some of these women have been doing what they're doing because one of the really nice things that you do in the book is you give um, each uh, writer a really good chance to have a bio that you can really kind of see. And I, I think that is really wonderful how supportive that is to the individual uh, contributors, because I mean, it takes up some space too. And I was, I was like, wow, this person now, you know, I'm kind of turned on. I started following a couple of them because that I like what they're doing, you know? And so that was what sort of, and I've been in metaphysics, you know, my whole life. And I realized you're right. It is like putting a megaphone uh, on it more than that these women have been working and speaking about it and writing about it, maybe just on a different level, like you said. So I, I really enjoyed reading it. 
um, through. I mean, I, I thought it was just the diversity of it. Um, and so I really, you know, I, I think I can really say you did a great job with your selection in terms of just readability and enjoyment and uh, different kinds of people, you know, which is nice to have in a journal, you know, different types of articles. No, absolutely. And that was one of my goals when reading through all of these submissions, I wanted to have it be almost like a patchwork quilt, you know, people from different walks of life, different countries, different ages, different sexual orientations, different ethnicities and races, different religions, because we all come from different backgrounds. We all have different paths. So we might be looking at the same topic, but from a different point of view and someone else's point of view might make you stop and scratch your head and say, oh, I never thought of it that way before. So my biggest hope with the feminine macabre is once someone is done reading it, even just one, you know, one, one essay, one chapter, and they go, oh, I never thought of it that way before. And they walk away and they learn something new. Um, and that was, you know, in going back to, you know, giving each of the writers a, a bio, a chance to talk about themselves. Now, I've been in publications and stuff where, you know, you don't really feel like you're part of it as a person. They want the content. They don't want the person. And that's not what I wanted with the feminine macabre. I want this to be a, a community between two covers mm. where you get to know these women you get to know these writers and these researchers and these individuals almost on a personal level mm -hmm. you know you get to see their photos you get to read their histories their backgrounds and then with their essays you kind of get to know the work that they're doing or the experiences that they've had what interests them what's their passion so my hope is that you know whether people are involved in the feminine macabre or not even just reading it as an audience member follow these people, these, these individuals, because they have such knowledge on their areas that they're interested in. And again, it doesn't matter if you're young or old, black or white, gay or straight, a man or a woman, you can walk away learning so much mm. from the feminine macabre, from these people who some of them have been, you know, researching and investigating for a few years and others have been doing it for a few decades, longer mm. than some of the other writers have been alive. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it's, it's a great spectrum of of people involved within this community and I really want it to be a community within a community you know the community of the feminine macabre within the community of the paranormal metaphysical and occult well let's ask you this question I I'm dying to know how you came up with the name it's just such a great name and and by the way here's a, a copy of volume two for you to see that can see and we'll describe it a little later for you guys listening, but please just go to Amazon and you can get your copy there and you can see the cover art too. But the name is, is you know, a name is important <laughs> of a journal. So how'd you come up with that? So anyone who knows me, my husband can vouch. I am horrible at coming up with names for things, coming up with titles. I will, you know, title a book and someone will be like, that's not very good. How about this? And I think, oh, that's fantastic. How did you do that? So I was brainstorming different ideas and stuff and they were all awful. They were all terrible. And finally I was, I thought of the feminine mystique. Um, and I thought, why not take that? That kind of started the feminist movement and 
kind of just tweak it just a little bit and start the feminist movement within the paranormal. And instead of the feminine mystique, let's call it the feminine macabre. And I mentioned it in passing to my husband and I just saw his eyes get big. And I was like, do you like it? And he goes, ooh, that's good. (laughs) So so it's the only title I've ever come up with that has gotten the stamp of approval and has actually stuck. Um, So that's, that's where it came from. And I don't know how I came up with it. I don't know because I have a terrible history at not being able to come up with titles for anything. So I'm very happy. Like if that's the only one that I managed (laughs) to get in my entire lifetime, I'm fine with that. I'm happy with it. (laughs) I love that. I hadn't thought it's like the feminine mystique. It's like part of that. And that's another reason why it sort of resonated as soon as I sort of saw the title. Um, you know, I, I always love titles when anyone who reads, I think is grabbed by titles. It's terrible if it doesn't live up to it. I mean, that's another topic, but the journal lives up to that for sure. Good. Good. (laughs) You, You get that macabre in there. Um, but you know, there's still also different kinds of articles in there, but one of the the things you were talking about earlier, I wanted to say reading in volume two, um, without giving away too much of the articles, but you were saying you were hoping that people would get something out of it, like think about it. And one of the things I like is a couple of the articles, they talk about like going to why they're drawn to say like the asylum or the poor houses and their viewpoint about it is really interesting. And it really, I really, that was unusual. I said, wow, that's really cool. I hadn't thought of it. So I do think at least um, those two particularly, why why are we drawn to these places and, and their own you know point of view, obviously, but they were very thoughtful and, and made me start to think about that as well. And I, you know, you don't really necessarily get that from, you know, maybe watching something on TV because it's not, that's not what TV is about. It's more visual, right? You know, so you can add more of that kind of inner process into the journal. Yeah. And again, I feel like when you watch TV, like you said, it's all visual, it's all entertainment and it has to be compiled into a 42 minute episode, a nice little gift box for people to be entertained. Um, While I like to think the feminine macabre is entertaining for people, I also think it's educational, Um, which some people think that's boring, but I'm a nerd, so I eat it up. Um, (laughs) But like, that's the biggest thing is I, I, I think that it allows time to kind of grow a theory right before the reader's eyes where someone will suggest an idea and then they'll show you kind of examples of what they're talking about. And then by the end of it, you know, you flip the page on that last, you know, the last page of the essay and you're like, didn't think of that. But now I will always think of that, especially in regards to, you know, women being like, you know, uh, pulled towards various insane asylums and hospitals and stuff. Why is that? Well, I'm not going to tell you why, because you have to read the book. Yeah. But, um, but it's this great, um, and Amy who wrote that she was also in volume one. She does a great job at really digging into women and the paranormal. Um, you know, some people, when they ask, you know, what are you looking for? And I said, you know, women in the paranormal, that can be whatever it is. You can focus on an actual woman. You can focus on femininity and how it works with the paranormal. You can focus on being a woman 
or you can completely ignore it and just talk about your research because being a woman in the paranormal means different things to different women. And that's the beauty of it. So there's such a variety of essays because you have a variety of women from all different walks of life who are interpreting the kind of the assignment right. in different ways. Well, I really love that actually, because for me as a woman, sometimes I get a little frustrated because I just want to be able to do the things I want to do and not necessarily always say, oh, I have to do this in a kind of feminist way. And I, I get a little annoyed that I'm in that predicament, like, okay, I get that I'm a woman in this world, but I want to focus on this as a woman. Like, why do I have to explain myself, you know? And because, you know, throughout history, there are plenty of women that just went ahead and did things like Joan of Arc is such a great example of yeah. how the heck she did what she did is just so unbelievable when you think about it. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you know, she's a, she was a general. I mean, the thing that's really admirable about her was you know, she she led armies without any training. You yeah. know, you don't have to even like like the part that she sees, you know, the angels. You just think what she did as, yeah. a, as a strategist. As a young woman. As too. a young woman, <laughs> you know. So, you know, sometimes you just say, OK, I, but I like that you said that, you know, out loud. Like, you know, there's different ways to express being a woman in the paranormal. It doesn't have to be the same for every woman. Yep. And a great example of that for me is there's one woman, um, Mallory, who she's a member of Black Beak Paranormal. And she wrote about basically motherhood and the paranormal and how you balance it. So she really chose to focus on being a woman in the paranormal and that femininity and, you know, having more intuition and empathy as a mom entering into these locations. Well, then you had another woman named Cindy who she wrote about in volume one, sustained electronic spirit communication. And it's literally her just going through years of, of evidence and experiments and research. There is not a lick of femininity of what it means to be a woman. It's just, here's the work that I have been doing. This is what I think it means take it as you will. And they're both fantastic articles. They're both so informational. Um, you learn so much from both of them. And they're two sides of the exact same coin. They are focusing on what it means to them to be themselves in the paranormal. Yeah. Um, so I always tell people like, you don't have to focus on yourself. You don't have to focus on a woman, just right from your heart. You know, whether you're choosing a topic that you're interested in and you're doing research or you're, you know, dissecting your experiments or your research, um, as long as it's through your eyes, whether you are very feminine or you're more masculine or you're gay or you're straight or you're, you know, a tomboy, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, we want that variety. If I wanted, you know, a straight white girl you know, from a, a Christian background, I would just write a book, but, <laughs> but I don't want that. You know, I want that variety, um, that hopefully people who crack open the book will see themselves in at least one of these writers, um, and, or bits and pieces within multiple writers. So, um, I, I, I like to offer as much wiggle room as possible for mm -hmm. the writers and to give them as much freedom as they want because as a writer myself I like when there's creative freedom to be able to interpret things the way I want or research what I want um, and be able to show 
all of my hard work and, and what I've done. So, and I know it's, you know, it's the same for other women as well. Mm -hmm. uh, that's very well said. One of the things I really like about just going through the table of contents is in both books is some of the names really capture your imagination, at least for me. And I'm sure it's different for everybody, but I, I definitely loved um, the name. You need not trouble the sinister stove of Spain. I said, oh, a sinister stove what of Spain. That? What is that? I <laughs> yes. have to read about the sinister. And I, I that's and, and that's really interesting on a level for women and that women in cooking and and you know the stove idea. And then who hears about sinister stoves? And and it's a great article. So I mean there's a lot of of titles that just immediately um, capture you. But what I, I did in both volumes, I'm just reading them straight through. I don't know why I just decided to do that instead of skip around. I wanted to have that like experience. Um, and I'm about like, I think I'm about 160 pages in the second volume. And, and I've, I've really enjoyed every article, honestly. And I, I think it's, it's one of those things that it's nice that you have short and long. And, mm -hmm. and, um, I think one of the things I find challenging when reading, like, like sort of anthologies say is sometimes it just doesn't flow. Like, I don't know why. So it must be the way you laid it out or there's something about it that, that kind of it's there is a kind of inner harmony in the journals, even though they're different people writing, which I don't sure how you accomplish that, but it, it, you should be congratulated. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. I really at, at formatting. I hate it with every fiber of my being because um, there is so much stress where you want to start with something really good and then you want to keep it going really strong and stuff. You know, you don't want to fizzle out at the end. And it's all about, for me, like I am a person that can't stop reading in the middle of a chapter or a middle of a section. I have to get to the end of it. So I really wanted mm. to do a mixture of long versus short, but then also a mixture of topics. You know, we have so many topics, but you don't want four tarot articles right on top of each other. And then, you know, five or six ghost stories on top of each other. So it's definitely a lot of moving things around and shifting things. Oh, that doesn't really go there. Let's move this one down. Let's move this one to the front. Um, so it's definitely, you shuffle things around and, and you keep doing it until you just click publish because you, you'll continue <laughs> questioning until, until the end times. But, um, but thank you. Cause I always wonder like, Oh, I hope, I hope it, hope it works out in my mind it looks okay but this is also like my baby so of course I think it's good so it's nice when other people also agree with me it's like when your parents say well of course you're cute sweetie well you have to say that <laughs> same thing with this I have to say it's good <laughs> now you also are um doing uh, a lot of marketing for the book which I thought was um you know, from my point of view, really um, good and, and very supportive. Again, I know you did your launched your first um, behind the scenes um, in the Feminine Macabre Facebook Live with uh, these three interviews. I was on one of them, but you're going to do one for every uh, writer. And so talk a little bit about that and, and the process you, that led you to do that. So I just am really very passionate about highlighting the work of the researchers. This is not about me. This is not the Amanda show. Um, you know, and, and I really genuinely feel that these women have so much to share and that people deserve to know about them and they deserve to have people know about them. So I did this originally with volume one. I did them live on Facebook in person with um, two or three women a night. And there were pros and cons to that, but I decided to 
scrap that, let's pre-record things and actually make a nice edited episode. So um, each episode includes three women um, from all over the world. We have some women from Denmark, Ireland, the UK, Canada, and obviously the States and all different areas of expertise throughout the paranormal. And they just, they talk about what it is that inspired them to pursue their interests within the paranormal, their origin stories of sorts. Um, you know, they tease the pieces that they wrote for the feminine macabre. Um, and then I ask them, you know, various questions. Do they have role, role models in the community? Um, what does it mean to be a woman to them personally? What advice would they give a woman just starting out on her journey into the paranormal? So it's a really great way for me personally to be able to sit down one-on-one -on -one with these writers to get to know them. You know, you only get to know people so much through email. Mm -hmm. um, so when you actually get to sit and see each other and hear each other's voices, it's so, so much personal, so much more personal. Mm -hmm. um, and same thing with people who are watching it as audience members. They've, you know, hopefully they've read the book, they've read these pieces and they kind of have a little insight into, you know, the researchers and the writers' hearts and minds, but to be able to sit down and see their faces and hear their voices and, and listen in more in depth to their stories, I think just adds a more personal level to it. You know, again, I really want the feminine macabre to be a community of readers and writers, of men and women, of everyone coming together to really celebrate the work that, that people are doing, of, of that, you know, female and non-binary researchers are doing within this community. And that just seemed like a great way to offer kind of a, a peek behind the veil, mm -hmm. a peek behind the scenes of what it is that we're doing. These women that, you, you know, you read their words in black and white will now hear their words with your own ears. So I was really excited to be able to do that. Um, and we're going to continue doing it um, Monday, Wednesday, Fridays um, for the next few weeks to really highlight um, these women. And, and again, let their voices be heard because they have so much to say. And the knowledge that they have is just so important to get out there. Yeah, I, I think that um, one of the things that to me uh, separates you from maybe other, I, I don't know enough about maybe other journals, but one of the things that's very obvious is you really, really do support the community. There, this is not a uh, at all a front for you on any level. And, and that's all right when people have that. But I think that is one of the reasons it can succeed, though, because I, I think, you know, what, what I've observed um, you know, I've been mostly in sort of the tarot, you know, realm metaphysical, but since we started the show, we've gotten more into more of the ghost hunting paranormal, even though we have a couple of friends that have, like I said, dragged me onto ghost hunting and, and I, I just fall asleep a lot because it's dark. <laughs> so maybe I need it can be boring sometimes too. It's fine. We'll admit it. it, it it's gotten more interesting now that though for me, but I remember at first I was like, Oh, it's just so dark. I'm going to fall asleep, you know? <laughs> and, uh, so anyway, um, what I was saying, I've totally lost my thought about the, Oh, in the paranormal world. Um, it, it is a community, you know, like it, 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 at least Michael and I, we, we were struck by the guests we had on. They were also easy to work with. And it's not like people don't have any like issues with each other, but I did find them honestly a little bit more supportive than say some of the psychic tarot world I've been in for 20 years. It can get very kind of edgy and mm. kind of, you know, people have their little cl clicks, but I, I do think that that concept of the paranormal, at least from what we've experienced so far, there is this kind of community. 
and that the journal can help to really bring that out, I think, and also in sort of an innovative way with, with really highlighting women and non-binary writers, too, you're also highlighting. Yeah, and I would, I will say that, you know, like every group, there are cliques, there's, it feels like the popular group, and then the nerdy group, you got the band geeks over there, the theater nerds over there, um, and, you know, a lot of people debate whether or not para-unity is really a thing. And I would say as a whole, the whole, you know, encompassing everything, probably not. There are so many people with different ideas. There is, of course, there's drama, you know, in every aspect, you know, if you get enough people together, of course there's going to be. But I think when you find your niche and you find your community or your coven or your tribe or whatever, there can be para-unity within that. Right. Um, and I really, you know, that was my big thing with the feminine macabre was that I am not a part, I'm not a part of a paranormal team. I am a lone wolf. I, you know, I investigate on my own, you know, I'll hook up with friends and stuff, but you know, I look and I see other people who are in groups or in cliques and it was lonely, quite honestly. And that's when I was like, you know what, if I don't have a group, I'm going to make one. Mm. And that was kind of another part of the feminine macabre. And I have found that a lot of the people who write for it are those solo researchers and those solo investigators that don't have a team. They don't have mm. that pool to draw from of like weird friends. Yeah. So, you know, they kind of gravitate towards it. And I, it makes me so happy because I've gotten to know so many people through this, you know, just this past weekend, I was on an investigation and three out of the eight people there were women that had written for the feminine macabre. So I got to meet three of these writers for the first time I was so I fangirled when I met them I had them sign my copies so it's really I really want it to be I mean I keep driving home the fact that I want it to be this community um because it is very easy to become clicky and for there to be drama and that's what I I hope that the feminine macabre is supportive Mm. and that the women within the pages go out and they find each other, they support each other, they follow along with each other's adventures. Because again, we can all learn so much from each other. Um, and I hope that that kind of continues and para unity of sorts can can have a place with the feminine macabre working hand in hand. Well, you're right. Nothing's ever going to be perfect. And, and it's a really good point that you make about the lone wolf. I'm definitely more, even though Michael and I have our tarot business, I'm totally a lone wolf when it comes to a lot of a lot of my um, things now, I mean, I used to belong to groups a little bit more like in Buddhism when I was younger, but to me, um, there's a kind of limitation sometimes in groups that, that especially if I want to go a little deeper um, or it's just a matter of time, like how much time you have to give. But so I've become much more of a nomad in, I like it. And maybe that's why I really did kind of, you know, jive with the journal i i felt i don't think i've ever really submitted anything where i felt like i was part of something because i I don't really feel like i belong most of the time and i'm actually okay with that i've made my peace like i'm just a real freak (laughs) i don't really belong anywhere and i i belong to the earth and i'm happy with that but with groups and things i'm almost always a bit of an outsider eventually and um and it was my husband that actually said why don't you just embrace being a nomad and i was like 
All right, I will. I so I love that. <laughs> you know, you got to have your nomads too. <laughs> so. Yeah, I, I mean, I hundred percent. Like when you said, like you always felt like an outsider. My entire life, not just in the paranormal, but in everything, I've always felt like the outsider looking in and like trying to figure out, like how do I break through that? And finally, it was like, you know what? I'm just gonna do what I do. If you like it, you'll gravitate towards me. If you don't, you don't. I grew up with the saying that my father always said go where you're celebrated, not where you're tolerated. I love that. And that was the turning point for me when I was probably like 15, 16. And since then, I've just like let the freak flag fly and the fellow freaks see it and they kind of come running. So it's the way to live. <laughs> it is. Now, I know you're, you're not about promoting yourself and I haven't read your article yet, but I, I did want to at least um, bring it up a little bit because I love the topic of it. Um, and it's, it's uh, so, so tell us a little bit about the name of it and just a little teaser about the article. Sure. So I wrote an essay called um, A History of Hoaxes. And I, I realized I had to tread very lightly um, I am friends with many spiritualists. I live very close to Lilydale. I've been there. I love it. But I do think that the history of the paranormal and spiritualism is a little dodgy, a little questionable. Um, so I take a look at paranormal history and how it is based a lot on hoaxes and frauds and fakes. So I look at the Fox sisters. I look at spirit photography. I look at the Cottingley fairies, which mm. is one of my favorite topics. Um, it's captured my imagination si since I was a child. Mm. Um, and then modern day paranormal reality TV. And I basically look at how it's 30% fact or truth and 70% fabrication in order to prove the tr truth. Mm -hmm. So you know, a, an example, a quick example with the Cottingley fairies, according to the two little girls, Francis and Elsie, they would be playing down by the stream with the fairies. Well, their parents didn't believe them. So in order to make their parents believe them, they took pictures with fairies. It took the world by storm. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle ate it up um, and they tricked a grown man, you know, <laughs> Mr. Sherlock Holmes himself. And they, you know, it captured the world's imagination only to be, obviously it was fake. Um, they admitted that these photos were fabricated. However, till the day they died, they stood by the fact that there were fairies mm. down by the stream. So they took this fabrication, these paper cutouts and took this photographic evidence to prove that they weren't lying. Mm. Um, so were the photos of the fairies themselves? No, but these girls, you know, claimed that they were telling the truth. So they used this hoax in order to prove that what they were seeing is genuine and what really happened. So I kind of look at the history of that where, you know, possibly the Fox sisters really did hear these rappings and were able to communicate with the other side. You know, I know many psychic mediums that are able to do that today, mm -hmm. but can they do it for an audience of a thousand people paying big bucks to see this on command? Probably not. But they can do these things, but they have to get creative, let's just say, right. um, in trying to prove that these things exist. Um, so it was a really fun article. I'm absolutely obsessed with Victorian and Edwardian spiritualism. Mm. So it was fun to kind of dive deeper into that. 
I'm actually working on a book right now about um, the spiritualist movement kind of incorporating with the suffragist movement and the feminist movement. Um, so it was a fun little teaser for that. Um, so without giving too much away, um, I could talk all day about this topic, but um, I'm very, very passionate about how um, our the paranormal's history is based on kind of uneven ground and we need to kind of acknowledge that that happened mm -hmm. and let's move forward doing better. We yeah. can do better. So, yeah, magic has that issue um, with, you know, the Golden Dawn and the Cypher manuscript. Um, are you by any chance is I don't know if this is the same period. Are you writing with Annie Besant in it? Because I know she was a, a strong suffragette before she became a theosophist. I'm gonna I, I want to try to incorporate as many aspects as possible. I'm still in the very early stages of mm -hmm. research still. And I'm like, I have like piles of books everywhere. So <laughs> you can't see that right now. Though. <laughs> um, so I'm really excited. I'm hoping to get that out in time for um, the Haunted America conference next June. Hmm. So, um, so stay tuned. I'm sure I'll be updating as yeah. I go. <laughs> that, sounds, uh, that sounds really interesting because there's definitely is kind of a convergence with, with what oh, you're talking yeah. about. And it is an interest. I like that end of the 1800, early 1900s in the tarot world is a really interesting period mm -hmm. too. So I tend to go back and read that period and learn about the different people. They're all such characters, <laughs> so, you know, but it used to trouble me a little bit and I don't know, I guess it doesn't it's complicated, you know, like yeah. I don't see it so in black and white now anymore mm -hmm. because, you know, the results are also powerful. So maybe it's just a human thing, our desire to tell a story and exaggerate. Yep. I was going to say, I, 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 it's always like the argument, like picks or it didn't happen. That's always the saying. And it's like, something happened to me and I can't prove it because I didn't take a photo. You know, well, do you fabricate it the next time just to prove that you weren't lying? So, and I do, I think that, you know, humans are desperate to connect and share, but also be believed. And some people will go further than others to be believed. Yeah, that's really true. Now, now, are you considering at any point uh, doing like an ebook uh, version of, of the journals? Or are you going to keep them physical? I think at least for now, they're going to stay physical. Um, I, I have two reasons behind that. The romantic version is that I, I love print books. When I was starting out as a writer, the first time I was part of an anthology and got the physical book in my hands and put it on the shelf, it was a, it, I don't want to sound melodramatic, but it was a life-changing moment for me. It showed me that I could really do this. And so that's the main reason why, because I want these people involved to also have those physical copies. <laughs> the pathetic excuse why is I'm not a technology. And um, the few times I have released my books in ebook format, it just doesn't turn out right. And then there'll be negative reviews or people complaining about it. So I thought, you know what, I know how to format a book. Let's just stick with what I know for now. So who knows, maybe down the road, I'll be able to finally figure it out. Yeah. Um, but for right now, it's going to stay just print. Um, but we'll go with the romantic reason why that print books are, <laughs> are sexier than ebooks. <laughs> well, you know, honestly, I, I actually agree with you, even though I have, um, I did figure out the ebook for my poetry book, which was really not easy because you, the formatting and also pagination, I don't know why, well, that was just formatting in general. But um, there is something about holding a book. And, in, and of course, in The Feminine Macabre, I will hold it up again, volume two here, the artwork, um, which I'm a huge, huge fan in books of cover art. 
Mm-hmm. I am definitely drawn to great cover art. I know that could be, you know, sort of a great place to just research, you know, the different artists. Um, I also like that you have pictures. I mean, you would think you'd have pictures because of some of the <laughs> photographs, but I always wondered, well, why did they take pictures out of adult books? Like, why do they think we don't like Thank pictures you. anymore? <laughs> I cannot agree with you more. I actually, women will send their submissions with no pictures and I will go searching for photos to put into their essays because I always say, I don't want to sound like Gaston from Beauty and the Beast where he's like, how can you read this? There's no pictures. But I love, I love photos. I love seeing exactly what someone is trying to describe to me, especially if we're talking about history or a person and you see them doing the thing that's being described. It's just so impactful. And especially for my article about spirit photography, I wanted to share some of these wacky (laughs) photographs that, that were captured back in the, in the, you know, late 19th century. So photos for me are huge um, that like, I, I want them included. I have to include them. I will go out of my way to find them. Even if it makes the book, you know, 40 pages longer mm-hmm. <laughs> than it needs to be. Um, because I really do think that it breaks up the text, which I do think you can get very fatigued from reading page after page after page of just text. Mm-hmm. Um, and it does, it just, it really, it pluses it just a little bit more. It adds just that little extra touch to help you connect with the topic that someone is writing about, especially if they're writing about a place or a person, it really helps you connect more with with what they're talking about. And I think that's so important. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm a little curious as to, since you've read all these submissions and both the the volumes, so what, what are some of the unusual things you feel you've learned by actually just reading the submissions? Is there anything that stands out in your mind like that initially, like, wow, I never knew that at all? So, I mean, there's so much stuff. And again, like my, my background is hauntings and ghost stories. So, you know, whenever I get something that is tarot related, especially because I'm just starting out on my journey with tarot, I always find it so fascinating. Um, But um, one of the articles that really stands out to me um, is in volume two, and it's called pseudoscience to science, taking the next step. And Um, It's by Ashley Cassidy from um, Keep It Weird podcast. And she does a fantastic job at taking very heavy scientific theories. Like we're talking like quantum physics and string theory, like stuff that goes way over my head. And she writes it in such a way that makes it not just approachable, but understandable. And she just, the one thing that she said that actually took my breath away, I actually highlighted it in like a text box, was there's this theory, this is this idea that maybe you're not talking to a dead person that died 100 years ago. Mm -hmm. There's this idea that time is, you know, wibbly wobbly. Mm -hmm. And it's this line that just, you know, it zigzags all over the place. And every so often that line intersects. And when those lines intersect, that's when you get a haunting. You know, maybe that's why you always see a bride coming down the stairs of this hotel. Well, that's because she's on this part of the line and you're on this part of the line and you're crossing over. Um, Or you could be potentially talking to someone a hundred years from now and you're the dead person. Mm -hmm. Um, So what she said was, you know, when you're conducting an EVP session, approach it not as if you're talking to 
a person from the past, a dead person from the past, but a living person in the future. And I remember reading that and I actually closed my laptop and walked away because it just (laughs) messed with my mind so much. But it was just one of those things that I had never thought of it that way before. But now since reading that, I've done many EVP sessions since then. And I, as I sit down and I press record, that's what goes through my mind. I think Mm. of that. Um, And she has so many other things that she writes about that kind of make you stop and and pause and rethink everything that you believe Mm. when it comes to paranormal investigating. Um, So hers immediately, when you ask the question, that's the very first one that popped into my mind. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's just, it's it's long. It's a long article, but it's just a wealth of knowledge, so much information. Um, And there's a couple of really great, little snippets that you can just take away with you. And it really will change the way that you approach paranormal investigation, which I think is so important. I think people, they see what's on TV Mm -hmm. and they recreate it because they think that's how I must ghost hunt. That's what I have to do. Right. And it's constantly evolving. It's constantly changing. You can try new things. Um, You know, I was, again, I was just on an investigation over the weekend. One of the girls put on a period piece outfit to see if, if things would happen. And we got a disembodied voice screaming down the hall when we were alone in the building. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, don't be afraid to dress up, play music, um, and do these EVP sessions. Like you're talking to someone in the future, not necessarily someone in the past. So, um, hers is a really great piece. Again, that's pseudoscience to science, taking the next step by Ashley Cassidy. Um, that was one that really messed with, messed with my mind as I read it. I think she must be a doctor who fan because of the wibbly wobbly time thing that's from Dr who and oh yeah <laughs> I did enjoy that article a lot because one of the things I've often thought um since I'm not heavily I don't have a heavy background in ghost hunting I've just gone on you know maybe six or seven I thought well how do we know that this is a ghost and how do we know what is it is it parallel mm-hmm. universe what why yep. can we not be open to the possibilities and instead of assuming uh, the other thing that that I sort of have a little bit of a beef with is I think people forget that spirits lie. And um, I don't know how you're going to tell, but this is well known in magic is that you have to test a spirit to see if they are what they are. And they're not necessarily bad, but think about, mm-hmm. I mean, especially if they're a spirit of a person or ghost of a person. Well, people lie and they pretend to be things they're not. (laughs) Absolutely. I always say, I'm like, it's probably not a demon. It's just a jerk who was a jerk in life. And now they're a jerk in death. Exact same thing. Absolutely. Yeah. So you have to at least say, well, let me see if I can sort of prove that this spirit is what it says it is, you know, in Mm -hmm. some way, you know. Yeah. Um, but and it, I think it's so important that like now I feel like there is this beautiful fusion happening where people are using more parts of witchcraft and, and tarot, um, you know, on paranormal investigations, people bring pendulums with them. People bring tarot cards with them. So I think as you're fusing the science end of things with the more intuition and spiritual end of things, that's how you're going to get a well-rounded investigation and have the best idea of who it is that you're talking to. Right. Um, so I, I think it's interesting where you said, you know, in magic, you kind of test who it is you're talking to. Can you trust them? Is this a trickster or is it someone you can trust? And I don't think that that's on people's radar when right. they're investigating the paranormal and it should be. 
Yeah, and it's it's a training thing because that's like I said, it's just talked about so much from the very beginning in magic. You'll find it in a lot of books right away that you kind of like, oh, okay, you know. Um, now, one of the things I'll have to go back and look at. Um, Steiner talks about this whole concept of an occult science, and he he goes he's kind of a dense writer. I don't know if you know Rudolf Steiner's books, but he's really fascinating. I've tried a lot more to stick with him in the last three or four years, and he's so fascinating. Um, and he talks about clairvoyance with occult science, and I think his level of clairvoyance he's talking about is something that not a lot of people have. Like it, there's different levels of clairvoyance. What I've mm -hmm. researched that there's partial, there's different things you can do with clairvoyance. It isn't just a psychic thing. Um, but he thinks that that's going to be part of the occult world at some point, this ability to look into the realms and it would be accepted. So, I mean, we, we have this concept of the scientific that we think is God that the way we investigate, but that's going to change at some point because everything changes, you know, even oh, how yeah. science will investigate. So, you know, that that's one of the things like you're kind of saying that, okay, maybe a mix of these things is going to be how we really get to some of the core of what's going on. Yeah. And I think one of the biggest problems that the paranormal is facing right now, and I think it has honestly since the beginning, is that it, it's approached from a predominantly Christian background of God, heaven, and hell. You know, the Warrens are a fantastic example of that, where they approached these cases and these hauntings from their very, very staunch Catholic upbringings and backgrounds. And I think that is bad. Um, you know, I am a trained anthropologist. That's what I went to school for. So the very first thing you do is like you cut off the whole religion aspect of things when you're approaching various cases. And you look at it in an, you know, an unobjective sort of way, and they did not do that. Mm. Um, so, and I think even in, you know, 2021, uh, the vast majority of researchers and investigators are still approaching these things from a Christian background. And that's not to say that, you know, you can't, you shouldn't be religious or, or a Christian researching this or investigating this. Mm -hmm. But I think you know, there are billions of people on the planet and you were not born knowing everything. <laughs> you, you're just, you're not, uh, what are the odds that you figured it out? Um, you know, so I think that the, that the researchers that are continuously learning and growing and changing their opinions and their theories and their ideas and incorporating a little bit of this and some of, of, you know, these teachings and these findings, they're the ones I think that are going to really crack the code mm. um, when it comes to the paranormal and incorporating as much as they possibly can from different areas, from the science end of things, from the spirituality end of things. And I, and again, um, the, the article pseudoscience to science, um, Ashley says, you know, a breakthrough in paranormal research is not going to be faith-based. It's going to be science-based. Um, we just haven't gotten to that point yet. You know, it could be 50 years from now. It could be 100 years from now. It could be 500 years from now. We don't know. Um, you know, so I really think it's just so important for people to be constantly learning and growing. Keep reading. Keep investigating. Keep exploring. Because if you continue to look at the paranormal with your blinders on, you're missing 
the bigger picture, the grand scheme of things. Um, so, and I'm rambling. I forgot where I was going with this. <laughs> You're but doing it great. It sounded great in my mind. So, <laughs> I just, so I was going to stop now before I keep going down a rabbit hole. That's why. <laughs> no, it is interesting to look and see what what's going on. Again, a lot of it's what's maybe common. Um, like I'll be happy to see more daytime investigations that are televised. I know people do it. I mean, I know people oh, yes. that go. I mean, sometimes you have to even, but but there is a, a kind of um, it, it, it's similar with tarot. There's some people in the tarot world that think that you get you give better readings in the dark. And um, you have to have that atmosphere. And it's just not true. <laughs> and and uh, it, it's cool. And you can say, I like it because that's my personality or I like that. But you can give a perfectly decent reading in a garden in the middle of the day with even people around, you know. So it's similar. The paranormal, um, I'll be glad when it's a little more integrated with the different times of day, like early morning you know, twilight to me might be, you know, there is some twilight things, but it is kind of interesting. It's kind of all shaped into the dark, you know? <laughs> yeah. And again, I just think it's, that's what people see on TV. So they think, oh, well, they're investigating at two o'clock in the morning. That means I should too. And my argument is always, whether you're dealing with a residual haunting or a, an intelligent haunting, if they're kind of like going through their routine throughout the day, they're going to be awake during the day and resting at night. Mm -hmm. So why not try to investigate during the day? The location I was just at over the weekend, Madison Seminary, we had more activity during the day than we did overnight. Um, the afternoon before the investigation began, we got multiple EVPs, um, multiple voices. And by the time we went to bed, which was five o'clock in the morning, but it's the start of the next day. It was still dark out, but mm -hmm. I was laying on the floor trying to sleep and I was hearing basically what sounded like the hospital getting ready for the day that murmur of conversation people telling each other what to do the sound of a metal cart going by I was laying on the floor so I could feel the vibration of someone walking down the hall women were laughing and in my mind I'm like of course it would be first thing in the morning mm -hmm. they're getting ready to go um so I'm a huge fan of investigating during the day I know that night vision looks cool and it's really edgy and you're brave to do it in the dark at two o'clock in the morning but for me personally I get some of my best results during the day <laughs> so I want to encourage people Go investigate during the day. You don't have to do it in the middle of the night. Yeah. You know, it looks really cool on camera. <laughs> it, it, it does. Um, we had the same thing with this lodge is haunted. And, and we found that at a certain time at night, everything sort of settles down because the Masonic Lodge, usually people would leave at a certain point at 10 o'clock all the time. So more of the activity was during the time Masons would actually be here doing their yeah. things because it's not a, a residence, right? So we agree with you too, but it, you know, and I, I get, I get the, the, the pull myself, like, you know, personally watching, um, it's taken me a while to watch some of the shows. Cause I, I, I think I talked to you earlier. I fall asleep when anything's dark, even watching it on TV. <laughs> uh, I, it took me a while. Like I, I just got tired. It's like, I think I need to go to sleep or something. I'm tired, <laughs> you know, maybe I don't sleep enough, you know, but so, um, you know, but now I, I'm more into some of the whole, you know, the, the shows are also a little better actually. Some some of the shows mm -hmm. are a little more detail about the history and, yeah. you know, a little bit more personal, which I like a little bit about mm -hmm. that is a little more engaging. So they've learned to add that into some of the shows. But but I think that ghost stories maybe have that tradition of telling it, you know, like 
at night, you know, yeah. bedtime stories. And, and certainly I wouldn't want to take away from that. I think it's great. But it's just kind of funny that you're right. There's sometimes more activity during the day when things would be happening, you know. Yeah, absolutely. So, so I want to remind people where to purchase both volumes. And the easiest place would be Amazon. Is that correct? Um, they can do that. Or if they go to spookyeats.com slash feminine macabre, um, both volumes are available there, as well as um, the submission guidelines for volume three. And so. you said that's opening up next week? Yes. So submissions for volume three open October 1st and they close January 1st. So it's a nice big window for people to write. Um, and I encourage anyone who's tuning in, um, if you identify as female and that's cis or trans. Um, so if you identify as female or non-binary, um, I really want to encourage you, you know, go to spookeats.com slash feminine macabre. All the submission guidelines are there. What we're looking for, what we're not looking for, um, all of the boring formatting stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, and I really want to encourage people, um, you know, this is nothing without the people who write for it. And we don't care if you've never been published before um, or if you've never investigated the paranormal before. You don't have to. Um, you know, I, I always tell people, I'm like, it's kind of like a, an essay in college. Pick a topic that you're interested in, research it and write it. Um, so um, anyone who's interested, whether you're interested in hauntings, ghost stories, folklore, dark history, murder mysteries, tarot, witchcraft, voodoo, hoodoo, all of that stuff um you know if you feel inspired we would love to have you be part of it i will say for myself it was very easy to submit compared to other places i have submitted <laughs> that have very strict rules about the margins and uh, i felt intimidated it's like oh my god you know and i'm not i'm not too bad at formatting but it's gotten a little complicated out there yeah <laughs> so no, it's, it's it's pretty it's easy pretty i am easy. a writer myself so i'm always like you know what like here's the word here's the word count requirements use this font send it to me we're done. Yeah. No, I, I thought it was really straightforward. And, and I, I want to thank you for my own, for myself, for doing this. It, you know, it, it's probably, I mean, I'm proud of some of the other things I've been involved in, but for whatever reason, maybe because it's about time I started writing about the, these topics in, in more than my journal. And I really felt like this meant a lot to me personally to be included and also just meeting you. You've really uh, touched my life. And I think you probably, uh, all the writers will say that, you know, and I think it's, it's really a fantastic thing you're doing. And I'm not just saying that because I got in it. Um, I just, the first time I read the first one, I said, wow, this is really needed. It's, it's wonderful. And there's, I don't know of any other place um, for writers to, that are women. And, and like you said, that identify as women that can do this and it be such, um, you're so welcome. So thank you very much for, for doing this. I know it's a lot of hard work. Thank you. I, and again, we're so happy to have you part of it. Um, so thank you. I would, I'm getting like misty eyed. So I'm like, <laughs> don't cry, don't mess up your makeup. You can't do that. So thank you though. It means so much, you know, the amount, the amount of work that goes into it, you know, you know, people are getting antsy and they want it and they're impatient and you hope that it's good. So the fact that people enjoy it is great but the fact that the people involved in it feel like they are part of it and part of something bigger is just that's that's all there is what more is there you yeah know, that's the whole point well and it's it's still it's still um easy to feel like you're not part of this this is something i've talked to with some of the other readers is being involved in metaphysics for as long as i have it took me 
quite a while to just accept that it's fine that I am in this world because it's still a fringe world. No matter how cool the television shows are, in reality, it still is a, st a fringe world. It might always be somewhat of a fringe world, mm -hmm. um, even though everyone has a story if you sit down and talk to them. So it's true. anyway, so <laughs> thank you again for coming on the show. We'll have you back, of course, at another time. And thank you all for listening in. Join us next time as we continue to explore the esoteric and the obscure together. Have a magical week.